Welcome to the Inspiring Sustainability podcast series. I'm delighted to invite onto this call Tim Haywood of InterServe to join me in conversation to discuss his role, his engagement with sustainability in the organization and also outside of the organization. And so uh, I, the next step is to uh, welcome uh, Tim into this conversation. Uh, so hello, Tim. Hello, Adam. Hello there. And uh, so it's, uh, as, as suggested, this is going to be a conversation. I've got some uh, questions which hopefully will be uh, of interest to you and uh, the listeners. And so I'd like to start off uh, by uh, asking you to give uh, a brief introduction to yourself, uh, your role at InterServe, and any previous career and life outside of work which you think might be uh, relevant and interesting. Yes, of course. Um, as you say, I'm Tim Haywood. I'm the Group Finance Director and also the Head of Sustainability at InterServe. InterServe is a FTSE 250 business of about 85,000 people worldwide that is a construction business and support services provider, uh, including providing some frontline public services such as probation and uh, getting the long-term unemployed back to work. So we've got a very varied remit around the world. Um, it's probably a little bit unusual for you to come across FDs who are also heads of sustainability, and I've, I've often said that uh, people come up to me and say, well, the FD, surely he's the guy who knows the cost of everything and the value of nothing, and the sustainability head is the person who wouldn't recognize a business case if it came and uh, stood on his toes. Well, I've spent my InterServe career trying to sort of square that circle and to bring forward the business case for sustainability and the sustainability case for business. And uh, I think we've gone quite a long way in proving to ourselves, to investors, to other stakeholders that good business, you know, with a capital G and a capital B, can be good business. So that's that's a bit about... Uh, about me and my role. Um, previously, I've had various finance director roles in manufacturing, in professional services, in distribution, and in property regeneration. Um, my life outside of work, I've got a passion for, for gardening. I'm a competitive rower for Stourport Boat Club. Love my family and uh, try and keep myself out of mischief with all those various things. Right, wonderful. It sounds as though you've got uh, a, a varied life uh, that you've got there. So that's, with even within career, you've got FD and sustainability. And then outside, you've got from uh, gardening to uh, family to, to, to competitive rowing. So that, there's quite a few uh, interesting things going on there. And as you, as you stated, it's a, a relatively unusual, in, in fact, possibly uh, fairly unique uh, situation that you're in, in certainly in the scale of organization that you're in. And so what, one of the things I'm curious about is what inspired your interest uh, in sustainability? So to mean that you're in, you've got these dual roles now. Um, I've always believed that business is and should be a force for good. I get quite upset, quite emotional when people demonize business and in particular big business and focus on the negatives, fat cat executive pay, bankers bonuses, 
corruption, scandals, misdoing, uh, inequality, all those things that exist in certain pockets and forget that actually business is one of, if not the primary forces for good in society, that it generates employment, it creates wealth, and mainly from the sustainability's point of view, actually is a very well-resourced and usually well-intentioned vehicle for delivering a whole load of social, economic, environmental, community benefits. And I've always tried to shine a light on on those things. Mm. Uh, I think business can act quicker than government. Yep. It can act wider than any individual. And it can be very decisive and also can be, and at, at its best is, very able to deal with multiple stakeholders. Uh, and I, I do get a little bit frustrated, I guess, when people think that business is all about the bottom line and forget that business outside of the context in which it operates, its society, its environment, all those uh, communities, uh, you know, without that context, there is no business and the sensible businesses see that. So therefore, I've, I've always been pushing that type of maybe sustainability with a small s what got me finally you know, really motivated to go large with the sustainability agenda at, at InterServe, I guess, was conversations I had uh, with my family, and in particular my daughter, who is, I'm not ashamed to say, but I'm very proud to say she is one of my key guiding influences. I'd even say she's sort of a, a reverse mentor to me. She went to the Copenhagen Climate Change Co Conference as a uh, ambassador for the UK on behalf of UNICEF. And she came back and said, Dad, you're a believer in this sort of stuff. You're holding a position of authority in a big organization. You're not doing enough. And I suppose she was right. Um, so from those conversations there, we decided that uh, InterServe was absolutely the platform, uh, that it was already an organization that was doing a lot of good in the world of sustainability, and that I almost had a responsibility to use my power and my influence to further that agenda. And that's what the last five years or so have been about. Okay, then. So that's uh, fantastic. I mean, the, uh, that's, that's a, a, a broad spread there. And you say five years. So is that the period that you've been the uh, that this having this dual role? Yes, that's right. I've been six years at InterServe as FD and five years as Head of Sustainability. So one of the things, what, uh, how did it happen that you were the, uh, you joined, year you're at FD, conversation happens with daughter, did you go back? Did somebody come to you with the idea? What, how did it happen that you took on this role of head of sustainability after a year of being at the, the organization? I said to the chief exec, I, I want to take this on. I think there's a job of work to be done. Let me do it. And he was both persuaded enough and 
brave enough to say, yeah, I can see the sense of that. Uh, it wasn't as quick a conversation as that, but mm, yeah, um, yeah I, I, I showed him the uh, the agenda that uh, that I wanted to pursue, and I think he he recognised in me the single most important thing to make uh, any endeavour successful, and that was enthusiasm. Mm. And I had had have and probably will always have a great passion for the subject, and I think that really um, is is the deal clincher. Um, yes. I, I won't claim to have deep technical background in uh, the, the world of the sustainability practitioner, but what I do have is you know, far-reaching insight into the business world and the business of Interserve, and a passion to enable it to put its best foot forward and to combine those two those two sometimes separate worlds of sustainability and finance. I think you you were in the audience, Adam, when mm. I was at the ED conference talking about the language mm. gap between finance and sustainability. And I think there's so much in common, but sometimes neither side recognizes what, what they have in common because they're using different languages, the, the technical language of the accountant and the technical language of the sustainability practitioner mm. sort of are for the initiated and they need a bit of translating. So um, that's part of, uh, part of the role that I've been playing is to cast sustainability in a good general business light and to show general business how sustainability helps it to deliver its strategic goals. Excellent. Right. No, that's, 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 that's great. And um, uh, uh, this program is about inspiring sustainability. And one of the things that I, uh, I think will be hopefully inspiring to people is that uh, you, had, you went to the CEO with a kind of a positive uh, narrative of what you wanted to achieve. And uh, is it the same CEO still there, or have you, uh, yes, it is. And right. you know, Adrian Ringrose is a is a great CEO. He, he was when he was appointed, he was the youngest ever CEO in a FTSE 250 organisation, and ten years on, he's still there. Right, and right. I think you know, his vision, his bravery, his willingness to let his team do things like this is part of the reason for his success and, and the company's success. Fabulous, fabulous. Okay, then. Well. Um, the next question actually uh, f fits quite well with that that I'd like to ask, which is uh, a, a favourite story that you've got associated in some way with sustainability, obviously uh, directly at uh, InterServe. You've already given me a fantastic story about how you came to this with the, the great conversation with the daughter and then the subsequently with Adrian. And I'm sure there's you know, uh, a myriad of stories that you've got, but... Uh, could you pluck out one of them which would uh, illustrate nicely something uh, that you'd like to communicate? Um, I, if I can cheat and do hmm. two, Please. at least one of them isn't to do with InterServe. So that, that might okay. alibi me a bit here. I've got to blow the InterServe trumpet. I, I was lucky enough to have a, a really good meeting a uh, couple of weeks or so ago with Jeff Seabright, who's the head of sustainability of Unilever. Oh, yeah. And we, we were just having one of those very nice collaborative conversations you have in in the sustainability circle and it's there's no competitive agenda you're just sharing good ideas and i was saying to him you know how did you make the business case within unilever which is in my view 
one of, if not the leading exemplar of the sustainability agenda in the world. Mm. Um, you know, what, what were the sort of the, the killer points you made? And, and he told me one story, which I thought really exemplifies how the world of business and the world of sustainability combine, which is over in India, uh, Unilever were uh, struggling with the, uh, the recognition and the sales of their Lifebuoy soap brand. Mm. But they also recognized that one of the biggest causes of infant mortality was diarrhea in children. Mm -hmm. And that that was not, not just infant mortality, but child mortality. And, and that was a direct result of poor hygiene. And they spotted both the social sustainability opportunity and the business opportunity mm. of launching a hand-washing education program with UNICEF and with the local Indian schools and with the Lifebuoy Soap such that they were able to both radically reduce the number of instances of child mortality and at the same time drive the brand recognition mm. and the sales of Lifebuoy. And I thought that at a stroke that almost encapsulates how sustainable business is good business. Mm. You know, it's, it hits, ticks so many boxes. So I, I, I really like that story. It's, it's current in my mind. That's why I bring that one up. As far as an interserve equivalent is concerned, um, less uh, far-reaching, but still, you know, important for us. We've got some big construction activities in the Middle East mm -hmm. uh, where we have uh, employee accommodation that houses 20-odd thousand people. Um, and we need to provide them with water and sanitation in those uh, accommodation villages. And the, if you've ever been over to the Middle East, you'll know that water and sanitation mm. are pretty pretty stretched, pretty basic, and that the normal modus operandi is to get a lorry, a bowser, full of potable water, mm. drive it halfway across the desert, mm. take it to your accommodation camp, and by the way, you're, you're paying for the water, you're paying for the petrol, mm. uh, you're clearly doing a whole lot of uh, environmental damage. Mm -hmm. And then the water gets used in the usual way and another bowser comes along and takes away the unclean water and mm. the sewage cake. You pay for that. They drive the, uh, the sewage halfway across the, uh, the region and they join a, a very lengthy traffic jam uh, on and around the, the border of Saudi Arabia. And then all the bowsers turn around, reverse, and discharge the effluent right. into the desert. Yeah. I've been fortunate slash unfortunate enough to, to watch this. Mm -hmm. And there's hundreds of these lorries uh, in, invoking all sorts of environmental mm. crime. Although it's, it's not a crime, it's perfectly legal in the region. Mm. They do, it's what they've always done. But with a modern perspective, you look at it and think, my God, this is... This is horrible. Mm. So what we did is uh, invested in a technology called BioNest, mm -hmm. uh, which we and some Canadian manufacturers uh, co-sponsored, which biologically treats in situ all of the brown water from our accommodation camps and turns it into potable water. And at a stroke, we have removed 
all of the bowsers mm. of fresh water in, all of the bowsers of brown water out, mm. all of the discharge of sewage into the desert. We've saved millions of pounds worth of cost, reduced our carbon footprint and the environmental damage at a stroke. And the payback on that investment was less than 15 months in financial terms. So add all that lot together, it's, it's not quite as you know, planet-saving maybe mm. as, the, uh, as the Indian hand-washing example, but it's still pretty far-reaching, good sustainability credentials all around, and equally important, it's good financial sense. And we sold that solution into our Middle Eastern joint venture partners for whom sustainability is an unknown word. Mm. And we've used that as one of many examples to show them how we can improve their business by improving the sustainability of the business. Fabulous. Well, I think, uh, well, I, uh, I, I'm delighted by your humility regarding uh, the Unilever compared to InterServe. I think they're both important because the thing is, it's about taking, there's an issue and then it's dealing with it. And to a certain extent, whether it's, uh, a small local issue which needs dealing with with something, but it's about the intelligence and the creativity that uh, dealt with that issue and thinking around it. And so uh, that, those are those are great examples of good stories. So thank you for those. And now, next question, which is uh, I'd, I'd love to get an answer on, and which is more about actually what if any uncomfortable lessons maybe have you encountered over the last five years uh, since you've been in this role about, uh, and, and obviously there might be some learnings in that and you've developed from it, but uh, from my experience of life and business, not everything goes to plan. So I'd be really fascinated yeah. about what you've, what you've learned and when it was maybe uncomfortable. Yeah, you can certainly say that again. Uh, life does throw up the odd, uh, the odd challenge. Um, so many lessons. I'll, I'll try to pick out a, a few. I, I mm. think the, the first one is the, the age-old adage that what gets measured gets done. Mm. And therefore, because of my finance discipline, I was very keen to base our sustainability program on facts, on data, on comparability, on measurement, and not just resorting to anecdotes and case studies, mm. which is very laudable. I'm sort of glad I did it, but it hurt. Mm. And I've often said that we spent the first two years of our sustainability journey deep in some dark data mines, <laughs> digging away, trying to find the nuggets of data. And it was tough. It should not be over underestimated as a challenge. And it required a lot of persistence, a lot of effort, a lot of hard yards from a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and I think without... Uh, you know, leadership from the top it could have faltered at that point there mm. because there is nothing less exciting than just digging away for data and yes. to be patient enough and dogged enough to 
get that data so that you can measure your progress. That that was quite a toughie. So I think that was that was lesson one. Mm -hmm. um, don't underestimate the importance of data, but also don't underestimate how difficult it is to get the sort of data you need. Mm. Lesson number two was one that we did anticipate and and our sustainability plan tries to take account of it, which is that different people have different motivations, they've got different priorities, and they've got different things that interest them and don't interest them. And that means that some elements of the plan are not interesting to some people. Mm. Some elements of the plan, people are just too busy to engage with and some elements of the plan people don't see the relevance of or really do see the purpose mm. of and therefore we designed a multi-pronged attack uh, with lots of different targets and lots of different milestones mm -hmm. to try to speak to everybody at least in part mm. and that was that was good um, what it did mean though is which is a little bit uncomfortable maybe for the purest sustainability practitioner is that people might have been doing the right things but from a purist point of view they may well have been doing them for the wrong reasons mm. and I had to swallow my theoretical pride mm and accept that as long as people were doing the right thing, I didn't mind if they were motivated not by the purest motives. Yes. That, that is quite uncomfortable when you're, you're trying to sort of do good and change a culture of an organisation, mm. that sometimes you have to pull whatever levers are available. And if that's the profit motive or if it's short-termism, or if it's some form of self-interest, mm -hmm. you've sort of got to swallow your pride and say, mm. okay, well, as long as it's enlightened self-interest, mm -hmm. as long as we're making progress towards the greater goal, I'm quite prepared that people are not taking the sustainability pledge, but yep. they're still doing sustainable things. Yeah, definitely. Okay, that's great. Those are two uh, contrasting uh, but uh, great lessons which I think all, uh, many people will either resonate with them or they might not have quite got to some of them yet. So it's uh, yeah, helping them uh, not necessarily need to go through quite as much pain as uh, you might have went, went through. So thank you for that. And next, actually, one of the things that you've actually mentioned already uh, two people that uh, have inspired you with your, your daughter and also Jess at uh, Unilever. And I was wondering if, if you've got anything else which you would uh, highlight as inspiration where you get from. And it could be a person, it could be a thing, you know. Uh, so I'd be interested in what else you might highlight where you get inspiration from. Yeah, th this has been a really positive um, positive motivator for me actually um, mm. in, in my guise as FD I wouldn't normally have engaged with these type of discussions and these type of people and I think what I'd say is I get inspiration from the motivated people who are doing the great work mm. um, and in particular 
from the young idealistic people who may be new to our organization, may be coming through our graduate programs or you know, the interns or the apprentices, the people for whom they don't really see why not they're not old and cynical enough mm-hmm. to see the obstacles. They can just see the opportunities or the need. And it's really inspiring to get back in touch with that type of zeal, enthusiasm, unrestrained idealism, mm. and to sort of set aside your world-weary, I've experienced this mm. many times, young man, don't, don't mm-hmm. bother telling me that this can be done because it won't be easy sort of attitude yeah. and actually just go with it and say yeah you're right why, why can't we do this and um, I find in the world of sustainability that that type of enthusiasm is infectious mm. and I think it pays back as well the, the buzz that that's brought to the organisation of a bunch of people who are empowered to think the unthinkable, to do the previously undoable, mm. and to challenge received wisdoms. It, it's uncomfortable, but it, it's, it's, it's got a great edge to it, and mm. uh, I, I find it inspiring, I have to say. Wonderful. Fantastic. And uh, so th- this actually, uh, I hope uh, you, I've, I've not stolen the thunder of the, the, my final question, which is about the future, really. You talked about, you know, those people... Uh, the, the future of your organization and uh, there's uh, the future that we've got coming up in in our world is uh, is, is interesting shall we say and so uh, I've got a kind of two questions which are part of one theme really which is what what worries you and what inspires you about the future and these are kind of my, my last sort of uh, points that I'd like to, to cover before we uh, close Okay, um, I'll, I'll start with the, with the negative and hopefully finish yeah. on the positive. I mean, what what worries me about the future? It's the the required pace of change mm. being potentially greater than the ability to change. Mm. I think people's behaviours and attitudes change slowly, mm. um, especially the people in leadership positions you know when you get to my age you're pretty set in your ways and it's it's more difficult and more challenging to to change and i think the pace of change that we need to bring about uh, not just to reverse climate change but to uh, rebuild communities and to reinstate businesses license to operate in in society mm. and all of those things really are very urgent mm. and I, I worry that whilst we might be doing the the right things are we going to be doing them fast enough mm. but what inspires me about the future is that we we are as a as mankind very adaptable we've got mm-hmm. a, a long and proud record of causing our own problems and then putting them right the pace of innovation in particular if you look into the digital world the world of technology is extraordinary Mm. and you know we we are reinventing ourselves and our purpose at a at an extraordinary rate and maybe the inspiration for the future 
doesn't come from the leadership generation of today, mm. but it comes from the attitudes, the abilities, the sheer can-do, no-no-bounds approach of of the young generation, you know, my daughter and my son's generation, um, mm. who are, you know, inheriting a bit of a poison legacy from, from our generation, but mm. I think they've got they've got all the uh, all the skills and all the attitudes to, to put things right and I, I'm, a, I'm an optimist I think you, you have to be uh, mm-hmm. to believe in uh, being able to make the sort of changes that, that we are making um, but having tried it out within InterServe the sheer groundswell of support and positivism and enthusiasm that now resonates around the organisation is far greater than I could possibly have dreamt of five years ago. And yes. I, I think that inspires me that the past has, has shown that, well, the future is going to be even greater. So yeah, I, I am I am net a, pos- a positivist and an optimist. Right, wonderful. Okay, then. So, yeah, and thank you. And it's, uh, so that, I think, well encapsulates the... Uh, that holistic challenge and opportunity uh, that we've uh, we've got and we're facing. So, uh, really delighted uh, with uh, that conversation that we've had there. Really, thank you so much. And one of the things that I'm actually uh, I will be writing this up as uh, as an article. And uh, I think one of the as I was listening to that, uh, the biggest challenge that I'm going to have is uh, how do I fit that all into the amount of words that I'm going to have because there's, there's so much great uh, stories and uh, information within there. So thank you so much for that. And I think it's, it's uh, that, that inspiring sustainability title that I, get, I gave it. Uh, you haven't let us down there, Tim. Uh, thank you very thank much. Thank you very much, Adam. Um, so uh, so the, this is the end of the podcast. Uh, I thank you for listening to this uh, uh, podcast and I uh, invite you to, to join us for future ones. And uh, just to finish off by thanking once again Tim for giving his, uh, his time as a Group FD of a Foxy 250 company. It is, uh, I'm sure, uh, there's many demands on his time, so it's uh, extremely appreciated that he's, uh, he's given this to us. So thank you, Tim. My pleasure.